All right, if you would open your Bibles to Revelation 22, uh, we are going to finish Revelation today, Lord willing. Uh, and so, <laughs> did you all just groan? <laughs> that won't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what I want to do is, uh, I think we can finish Revelation today, and uh, right? Yeah, we're good. And then we can, um, what I'd like to do next week is have a week where any, any questions from anything in Revelation. Now, remember, I, I did not, I jumped in here at halfway through 13, so <laughs> it might require some study, you know, for me, but I was going to say anything that has been confusing, any, like some of you may not have been here when Joel started this, and you may be like, so what was the first half all about? I don't know, you know, so if you have any questions, I thought we'd take next week uh, to, uh, to do a, just a, a Q&A, Revelation, any questions about anything so far, and then, um, and then, and if there are no questions, uh, then I thought it might be a good week to do just, uh, we'll just do uh, kind of a, an overview of it and before we head into the next thing. So what I want to do next, um, starting in March, is we're going to start a, a, a teaching in here through uh, the family. Uh, we're going to, this is something we're going to use to build something we're going to call Fundamentals of the Family here at the church. So we're going to talk about uh, what is marriage, what does it look like to be a godly husband, godly wife. Um, conflict resolution, communication, um, uh, um, financial stuff, just all the things that are consistent uh, pressures within the home, uh, within the family, and just uh, how to, to walk through, through those way, things in a, a way that uh, honors and pleases the Lord, just to help equip families in the church. And then, Lord willing, from that, what we're going to try to do is uh, have something that we can always, kind of like how we do Fundamentals of the Faith, and we just, as soon as we have 20 people sign up, we start a new class, and that class goes. So we're going to do that for families, because we're all at different places. I mean, we just have, you know, nine families that just committed to raise their children in the Lord, and their children are babies, you know. I, I need this, and, you know, my children are kind of, you know, elementary, middle school. And then I, I know all of us, whether high school or even grown children, I think this stuff is going to be helpful for us. So we'll start that, um, Lord willing, first week in March. So that's where we're going next. Yeah. Yes, I'll have a, the last slide, we'll have that, and it has my email address and all that. But uh, so at the very end, I'll put that up there, and you can write it down, and yeah, email me. I mean, I'll, I'll take on the spots questions. I mean, that, those are always fun, but the, the preparation is better. I mean, just because that can say, okay, Ezekiel 37 says that instead of like, in Ezekiel, it says this, you know, so it just is helpful to be more precise in the answer, but yeah, yeah. No, we're going to teach it. We're going to teach it in here, and then once we have kind of built it, Jeff's going to help me put it together, just to, in, in a curriculum form, in a way that we could, uh, any of the elders or any teacher could take it, and, and kind of like we do with the fundamentals of the faith. That will be a sign-up thing from that point forward. But we're going to. I'm going to teach through it in here because I think it'd just be beneficial for us anyway, and it will help develop rather than just trying to pull something together. Does that make sense? So is it going to be? I'm taking resources, but we're going to make our own. Yeah, so we were going to, we were, that, that's how it kind of began. We were going to use either a curriculum we have or something like that, and we're like, we want to craft something for our people, you know, as, as shepherds of, of this church. Not that, but we don't want to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of great stuff out there. So that's kind of, so we're going to, we're going to create it um, here. And then, and like I said, it would be, I would like to teach through this anyway. I mean, this is something I think would be a blessing for us. And then, Lord willing, from there, it'll be something that, that would just be beneficial for our church as a whole. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it'll work. 
So today we're going to do Revela- we're going to look at Revelation 22, 6 through 21. And I'm calling this the, the faithful and final word. Uh, this is really just the postscript. Uh, it's the epilogue of the prophecy. It's kind of the end. And uh, you see John saying things, Jesus saying things, and angels saying things. Uh, and it kind of wraps up uh, the Revelation as a whole. And many of the things we're going to see are actually uh, very similar to the way John began Revelation, or the Lord began Revelation. And we'll talk about that. Um, but... Uh, this is uh, this is there's some very important uh, warnings uh, in this section that are good to read. Uh, there's there's purpose statements in this section that are good to read. So we started Revelation with purpose and we end with the same purpose. Um, and uh, and then there's also just uh, one more call to uh, to repent, to believe, to for the gospel. I mean, just after seeing all of this stuff, you know, John or the Lord through John ends with. Both a call to Christ and uh, and a warning uh, if if the words of this book are disregarded. Um, I didn't write this quote up there, but uh, J. A. Seiss and his commentary, which was a, a very helpful uh, commentary, uh, reading through a lot of this stuff. He says, "If it is, yeah, he says, if it really is the Lord Jesus who speaks to us in this book, there is nothing in all the canon of Scripture which He more pointedly attests, more solemnly guards." or more urgently presses upon the study and devout regard of all who would be his disciples, speaking of the book of Revelation. And so uh, all the books of the Bible are profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. There's nothing that God has revealed to us that is less profitable, if you want to say it that way, or unneeded. He, he revealed exactly what his children need from Genesis to Revelation. But Revelation comes with some very strong words at the very end, that, that, that call us as the church to, I mean, to account. Like, you must understand this, and you must know this book, and you must live by it. And you, it, it is a foolish path not to. Does that make sense? Uh, and again, that's not saying that the rest of the Bible doesn't come with the same sort of uh, somber warning, but it's actually written out here in Revelation. So here we are at the very end, and, uh, and I'm going to break it up in these three ways. The first... Uh, four verses, we're going to look at the importance of this prophecy. So the importance of Revelation and, and why the Lord has it in here and why it's important. Secondly, the imminence of the return of Jesus Christ. So the imminence of his return. And then finally, the, the final invitation and warning at the very end. So the importance of the prophecy, the imminence of his return, and the invitation and the warning uh, that he gives us before he ends the book. So Rather than to read the, the whole section, I'm going to do it in, in parts this morning. And so the first thing we're going to look at is, um, do you all need to write this down? Uh, while you're writing this down, I was going to say, one of the things, I, I meant to do this at the beginning, and this might be good for next week, is drawing out the whole, you know, I mean, we've been, when you think about Revelation, I think that's one of those things that sometimes in our minds we're like, now how does this fit in and where are we at, you know? And uh, so we can talk more about that next week. Uh, but but here is uh, you know we're we're basically entering into the eternal kingdom, uh, the 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 everlasting kingdom of God. The millennial kingdom is over, um, and so uh, this is this is stuff that we know very little of. That's what we finished last week: the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, the foundations, the walls. All that stuff is just mind blowing, and uh, and part of a whole new like a, a whole new existence and a whole new uh, created order. Um, 
so now, in this part, we're back to basically talking to the churches. And that's something you're going to see here. This is the first time the churches have been addressed since Revelation 3. You know, the, the, it, it began by sending these things out to the churches, the seven churches that this letter was to be sent out to. But then at the end of Revelation 3, the church has gone uh, from the earth. The church is visible in heaven uh, as those clothed in white and that sort of thing. But uh, all of Revelation is about the repentance of Israel, you know, Satan and the Antichrist going against the tribulation saints, of course, uh, but, but specifically the people of Israel and, uh, and, and then God uh, redeeming Israel, bringing the millennial kingdom. Christ sits on the throne of David. It's a lot of promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament. The millennial kingdom revolves around Jesus Christ as the Lion of Judah, the, the Son of David, the, the, the promised seed that promised Abraham that would bless all the earth. All those things were fulfilled. Um, and that doesn't negate the fact that all saints are there with him in the millennial kingdom. Uh, but it's a fulfillment of many things that have to do with Israel. And then at the end of the millennial kingdom, you have the eternal state where we are all one in Christ and in God, and God is all in all. So, but now, at the very end, uh, he begins to talk to the church again because this was written for the churches during this present age for us to know and to understand. Does that make sense? So we're finally back. It's almost like we're back uh, focused on this is an ending to the churches that this letter will go out to, the seven churches in Asia Minor, and then every church uh, since then. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the importance of this prophecy, the importance of the prophecy. And if you look in your Bibles, and I did put it up here, Revelation 6, or 22, 6 through 9, it says, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I saw and heard, or heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. So the first thing we see in these words is the, the certainty and the accuracy of this prophecy. It, it ends, it, when he says, he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Actually, if you look at these words, it ends very similarly. Uh, Revelation ends very similarly to the way it began. Here's what we just read. These words are faithful and true. The Lord, God, the Spirit of the prophets, says, angels show us bondservant things that must soon take place. This is how the book began, Revelation 1, 1 through 3. Uh, so God explained it, Christ explained it to John on the front end, and then he reiterates it on the back end. But when it started, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, so God gave to Christ to show to his bondservants, that's, that's the, the church, that's us, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and he communicated by his angel, again, very same thing, to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So again, very similar things at the beginning and at the end. Uh, this is, is God's revelation given to his son, Jesus Christ, who communicated that through an angel to John to give to all of his bondservants the church. Specifically, the seven churches that the letter immediately went to, and then for all the church since that time, including you and I sitting here in Woodstock, Georgia in 2023. Um, so, and still, the time is near. So when we look at this, 
uh, one of the things that you see in these verses is first the permanent precision of the prophecy is founded on the nature and character of Christ and of God. This comes from God's mouth and mind to his son delivered by an angel to John. This is the will of God. It is the word of God. And he says that these words are faithful and true. So Jesus Christ has revealed himself uh, to the church. Uh, God gave Christ, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ himself revealed this to the church. God gave Christ this revelation for his servants, his bondservants or his slaves, which is the church. Uh, And Jesus himself sent his angel directly to John to communicate this. In other words, this is very important information. This is very um, uh, purposeful information, and it is uh, guaranteed by the one that has given it to us and how he gave it to us. It was given to the church to be read and regarded, uh, to be read, to be heard, and then to, uh, to be heeded or regarded and responded upon. Um, and, uh, and there's many calls throughout Revelation to act upon the words of the prophecy. Again, I think we've, we've reiterated this over and over in here. We study eschatology not just to have a, a fascination about like the future you know, and how things will work out and be able to fill out the charts and be, where's the rapture and where's the millennial kingdom and when is this going to happen. That stuff is, is important. I'm not, I'm not saying that belittling that. But the whole point is for you to understand the end so that you then live with precision now in the present. We strive for holiness now. We don't get overwhelmed now because we understand where this is going. Uh, we remember the, the futility of stuff here on earth. And we remember that we need to be storing up treasure in heaven. Does that make sense? It's, it helps us fix our eyes on Christ so that we're living right here. And, uh, and so, again, it's good to know timing of things. It's good to know details. Uh, and it's very important to have a clear understanding of the end times, of eschatology. But all that being said, it's, it's about uh, uh, responding to it. And, uh, and I always tell the kids in adventure club and youth group and college group, even my own children, we prove what we actually believe by how we live our lives, by what we say and by what we do. Many people say they believe something, but they don't act in accordance with that. And either we would call that, you know, hypocrisy, uh, or we would just call that a, a, a naive or even unbelief. You know, you, you, you profess one thing and, and then you do the opposite of that. Uh, but, but what we're saying here is knowing these things, and this is why it's so important to take these words literally and not just some allegorical kind of it could mean this and stuff like that, is because if these words mean what they say they mean, and the Lord seems to say they mean exactly what I say they mean, then that has implications on all of our lives currently as fathers, as husbands, as mothers, as, as, uh, as, as wives, as employees or employers, as children. I mean, there's some important stuff in here, and especially uh, just as Christians. So the first thing he says here is that these words are faithful and true. First thing, this is the name given to Christ twice in Revelation. In Revelation 3.14, it says, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation, speaking of the names of Christ and who he is. In Revelation 19.11, when Christ splits the heavens open and returns with all of his people, he says, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. So Christ himself is named faithful and true because this is, this is at the core of what he is. Christ is always faithful and he is always true. So when the faithful and true one, the one his named faithful and true speaks, he can only speak in truthfulness. And all of his words are 100% faithful and reliable. And so just the fact that this is who speaks these words to us 
uh, proves that these words must happen exactly like he said they're going to happen. It's Christ who has given us this revelation. So these words are faithful and true. And then it says, And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent uh, his angel uh, to give these to them, or give, give these words to us. When it says the Lord God, uh, the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. Now, I don't know if you, does anybody have a King James or a New King James? In the King James or the New King James, it'll say something like, um, what does it say there? Does it still say the same thing? Okay, okay. Uh, well, then th- that's good. <laughs> There's another place where it's going to uh, take the, the, the spirit thing and it's going to talk about his commandments. And I think that's actually later on. I thought it was here. But when it talks about Lord God, the spirit of the prophets, uh, basically it's saying that the, 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 the one who has given the prophets all of their revelation, the one that gives us prophecy and truth, what, all the way back from Moses all the way to the very end, the Lord God that has worked in all the prophets is the very God who is working here. So these words are faithful and true because of Christ and who he is. These words are faithful and true because of God and who he is and who has given us uh, the, this prophecy. All true prophets prophesy the testimony of Jesus Christ because he is the author and originator and announcer of all true prophecy. And the Bible attests to this. Uh, in Revelation 19.10, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what Christ proclaims is what is behind all prophets. Any true prophet that has true prophecy that has come from God, is, it comes through the spirit of Christ in that prophet or through that prophet. Revelation 22.16, Jesus himself says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you uh, these things for the churches. So again, Christ himself says that these are my words. Uh, in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11, uh, Peter talking about how the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied their, the, the things that we have in the Old Testament. It says that the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, they made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he, the Spirit of Christ within them, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. In other words, it's, it's a fascinating verse because basically these prophets would prophesy through Christ about the first coming of Christ, and then they would meticulously investigate their own prophecies, wanting to know more about the Messiah, more about the Christ. Uh, and, and that's just a neat thing. I mean, just to think about Elijah or, or Isaiah or Jeremiah or, or some of these people that are, that are like prophesying for the Lord when it says, and the Lord said, but it's coming out of their lips. They're speaking for him. And they're also going, Man, what does that mean? And it's similar to us, but different. I mean, we're not prophets, but we read the word. It's clear. We understand what's in the word. And we're always digging out and going, what in the world? I mean, just, it's just deep, and it's big, and it's, and it's uh, awesome. And then in 2 Peter one twenty one, it says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is why this whole book is so important. This is why this is a unique volume amongst all volumes that exist on this earth. Because this book has been given to us by the, the, the it, it is the word of God, but it's been given to us by the spirit of Christ revealing the will of God, the truth of God, the character and nature of God, the plans of God uh, for, from beginning to end and the way to, to get to God through Jesus Christ. But all prophecy, all scripture has been given to us from God, by his spirit, through the prophets, 
And all of that comes back down to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here at the very end, when Christ testifies that this is my, these are my words, uh, it's, it's the same thing as, as all of Scripture. All of Scripture is the Word of God, the Word of Christ, given to us by the Spirit as God moved men to write down uh, what He has revealed to us. And it's all very important. But again, the reason this prophecy is so important is because this comes directly from Christ. And it says after that, uh, that he sent his angel uh, to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Again, this is the purpose statement of the book, like at the very beginning. These were sent to us so that we, the bondservants of God, the church, the slaves of God here in this life, uh, can know what soon must, must soon take place so that we can be prepared. It's revealed certainty. It must take place. It can't not take place. It will take place. Because this is what God deems is uh, is, is um is right, and so it's certain. And then it's revealed brevity. It must soon take place. Now, again, sometimes we look at soon from our vantage point, and it soon seems like a long time. But I think there's two ways to look at this. Uh, first thing, just the, 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 the soonness described as just the, the, imminent, the imminence of his return. I mean, he can return at any moment. Uh, and that soon has been soon ever since he ascended to heaven. But then I just think the easy way to think about it is look at the scope of all eternity. Like, look at all eternity, and you take 6,000 years of existence, and it's so small. It, it is soon. It might seem like a long time from our vantage point, but it's not. And, 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 and even from our vantage point, he could come now. He can come at any point. There's nothing left to be uh, fulfilled, scripture-wise, for Christ to rapture the church and for the tribulation to begin. That can begin today. So understand it from that viewpoint. It can happen in a a short amount of time according to our standard of time. But look at it from the perspective of God. And and this is a short time on earth. Our life is very, very brief. And Christ will return very, very soon. And so we must live right today. Don't put off uh, repentance and don't put off uh, obedience to him. Don't put this off like I got time because that's where we miss the mark. And we're foolish. We think that we have time. And he's saying, this stuff is going to happen soon. And then he reiterates it by saying, behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. He says, uh, he says this three times uh, in verse 7, in verse 12, and in verse 20 of this chapter. And this is Christ himself uh, uh, reiterating and emphasizing the fact that he is coming very, very soon. He's coming quickly. It just shows us the urgency, the imminence, the inevitability of his coming. Jesus Christ will return, and he will return soon. So as his children, let's live today as if he returns tomorrow. Does that make sense? We live today in light of the return of Christ, uh, being fully committed to him, fully faithful to him, fully obedient to him, uh, fully loving him above all things. Um, And again, this is actually a theme throughout Revelation. Revelation 2, twice in Revelation 2, once in Revelation 3, once in Revelation 16. uh, He says over and over things like, I'm coming to you. Uh, I'm coming to you quickly. Uh, But I'm coming like a thief. Uh, Both meaning that those who aren't prepared won't see him coming. And then he's coming quickly and and unannounced, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's imminent. He's coming and he's coming quickly. And then he says, blessed is he who heeds the words Uh, of the prophecy of this book. I think this is important. Let's camp out in this for a second. When he talks about heeding the words. Now, the very beginning, he said, blessed is he who reads and who hears and then who heeds. And here we are at the very end, and he's reemphasizing heeding the words of this book. Um, When he talks about heeding, it means you keep it, you observe it, you do it, you hold fast, you guard it. So 
It's an emphasis both on obedience to it, submission to it, so there's action attached to it, uh, but it also uh, emphasizes understanding it and guarding it and knowing that this is true and letting nothing else from the outside dissuade you or, or um, confuse you about the end. And like I said, there's, there's many, many people that interpret Revelation in many different ways. Some are, are, are godly men that truly believe in the inerrancy of his word and are striving with their might to interpret the word of God rightly. And, and we can still have differences of opinions. But many are not. And many take these words to bring advantage to themselves, prestige to themselves, just as a playground for their own imaginations and, uh, and, and whatever they want, or as an academic pursuit. And I think those are the, the people that you've got to make sure that you know exactly what Christ says so you're able to discern what is true and what is not true, what lines up with what he has revealed to us and the things that that is not like him and that's not what he said and that doesn't make sense in the light of the rest of, of, of his prophecy. And so that's part of heeding the word. You've got to guard it. You've got to know it. So there's, again, urgency here in reading it, the urgency here in understanding it, and an urgency here uh, in, in guarding it and keeping it. Uh, and it's the same word for heed here as Christ used in uh, John 14 and as Paul used in 2 Timothy. Uh, and, and in those instances, it's more than just guarding. It's, it's obeying. In John 14, 15, Christ says, If you love me, you will heed or keep my commandments. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, uh, Timothy says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In both of those uh, circumstances, there's, there's attached to that a doing. Timothy to keep, or Paul to keep the faith to the very end is something that he has worked on. He has, he has uh, put off the, the, the old man and put on the new. He has uh, clung to the word of God. He has uh, submitted to the word of God to the very end of his life. Uh, and the same thing with Jesus when he says this in John 14. He's saying those who love him will abide by or keep or uh, obey his commandments. And so it's the same thing for Revelation. Again, there are no imperative commands on this is how you live your life in Revelation like you have like Ephesians or Colossians or some of those books. But there are implications that should definitely drive our life here in this present time in light of what will come and what must come and what will come very, very soon. Does that make sense? And so we need to make sure that we heed these words. Um, MacArthur in his commentary says, the whole text of Revelation, especially the ending, he says it's pregnant with urgency, uh, pressuring every reader to take action based on the truths that have been presented. So again, I think we've said this a lot in here, but this is not just a, a fun eschatological academic pursuit for us. This isn't like, oh, yeah, I love end times. You know, I love trying to think through these things. This is, do you understand what's coming? Now live. Live in obedience. Live in love. Live in the fear of God. Live in light of what will come. And that will change the way we look at our jobs. That will change the way we look at our possessions. That will change the way we use our time. That will change the way we live amongst our friends and our family members. Uh, if we take this stuff as literal truth and serious uh, then it will change the way that we live. And that is the whole purpose of Revelation. John then testifies that it is he who heard and saw these things. John identifies himself here as the recipient of the revelation of Christ. He's the human author. Um, and, uh, and he identifies the method of the revelation. He has seen these things with his eyes. God revealed it to him visually. And he has heard it with his ears. God revealed it to him 
audibly. And John has then recorded for the church the things that he saw and heard. And again, he said this throughout Revelation. 34 times he says, I heard, I heard, I heard. A voice, I heard the, the, a voice come from the throne. I heard um, uh, the sound of trumpets and loud water. Uh, 50 times he talks about the things he's seen. So this whole prophecy has been what John saw and heard uh, as revealed to him by Jesus Christ throughout this whole thing. Then you got this little ending uh, where he says, uh, let's see, I fell down, uh, yeah, I fell down, uh, I, John, the one that heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw it, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Um, basically, and the angel rebukes him and tells him to get up. John has done this before. We saw this in Revelation 19 uh, in verse 10. Uh, John fell at the feet to worship him. It says, but he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. Um, and uh, your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. Uh, when you look at this, you know, some people are like, did John not learn the first time? But I just, I don't know. I mean, when you look at this, I just think, imagine if this was you, you know? Imagine just the, the over, I mean, he just saw a glimpse of the eternal kingdom of God. And then Christ speaks to him and says, I'm coming quickly. I mean, Christ just spoke to him right before this verse. I imagine... Uh, in, this is my opinion, but John was probably overwhelmed, amazed, in total awe and wonder of the glory and majesty of Christ. This is just the natural response. It's what Peter did on the boat when he saw Christ in his humanity. It's what uh, uh, the, the Peter, James, and Dodd, uh, John did on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw a glimpse of Christ in his glory. I mean, if we were to hear the voice of Christ proclaim these things after seeing these visions, I imagine we would probably react in some similar manner, you know. Uh, and so, but he fell down, and um, like I said, whether that was the appearance of Christ, his announcement, whatever it was. 17, John fell down like a dead man at the feet of Christ, uh, and Christ put his hand on him and said, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. And, you know, so, I mean, it could even be John, I mean, Christ just spoke, and maybe he fell down, and, but the angel's there, and the angel's like, get up, you know. And then I also think, think about the angel's perspective. I mean, from the angel's perspective, this is what Satan was like. The last thing you want to do is have a man falling down at your feet. You know, Satan wanted the throne of Christ. He wanted to be worshipped. And I imagine, you know, I just think of it from the angel's perspective as well. It's like when, when Peter told Christ, you're not going to go to the cross, and Christ said, get behind me, Satan. You know, Peter was trying to encourage, show his loyalty and devotion, love his Lord. He just misunderstood the whole point. He had his mind fixed on earthly things, not heavenly things. And Christ is like, get behind me, Satan. I imagine this angel's probably, in, you know, somewhere in the same realm. He's like, stop! <laughs> you know, like, don't you dare bow down to me. I, he, he said, I'm a fellow servant. I am a slave of Christ like you. I am a messenger of Christ. We're on the same level, and don't you come, I mean, you know, anyway, so I just was thinking about both of those things, because it is funny that this is the second time he's done this, but I, I just, uh, and again, that's just my own speculation, but from the angel's viewpoint, that's the, I mean, that was just like, get up now, and don't you ever <laughs> bow down before me. All right, so that, uh, that is the importance of the prophecy. This comes from God. This comes from the, the, the mouth of God, the mind of God, through Christ, through his angel, for the churches. This is a very, very, very important in, uh, book that has urgent uh, implications on our life. Secondly, let's look at the imminence of his return. Again, we already kind of looked at this, but it's just uh, it's, it's, um, said over and over. Uh, in the book here, uh-oh, I somehow lost my place. Where did my, all right, well, I've got a slide for it, so we may just, what did I do? 
I got I got out of order somehow. <laughs> hang on with me. Hang tight. Oh, there it is. I put it on the bottom. All right, here we go. So the imminence of his return, verses 10 through 13. And it says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of, this, of the prophecy of this book, and for, uh, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So again, one of the things I haven't pointed out, but you'll see in these words, is you have a, you, you have a back and forth to different people who are speaking. You have the angel who begins speaking with him. Then you have Christ in verse 7 who speaks the words, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then you have John speak. I'm John that wrote these things down. And then you have the angel speak who says, Do not do that. I'm a fellow. So I didn't think about that. Your mind might be going, Wait, who's talking right now? But So the angel just spoke to John. Uh, and now the angel is telling him, Do not seal up the words of this book. And then Christ is going to say, Behold, I am coming quickly. If you have the, uh, a version of the Bible that has the red print, it kind of helps you track who's talking through here. Um, but there's uh, just a lot going on at the very end uh, when it comes to people that are speaking. But mainly it's, it's either an angel, John, or Christ himself. So here uh, we, we're going to talk about the imminence of Christ's return. Uh, and again, Christ says he's returning quickly. And there is an urgency about this book being sent out and read. One of the things that's neat about this is he says, uh, do not seal up the words uh, of the prophecy of this book. And um, let's see, that's, uh, that is a, um, it, it's, it's neat because one of the things that this reminds me of is, is the book of Daniel. If you look at Daniel, Daniel actually said something very similar. In Daniel 8, God has just revealed to Daniel many of the things that will happen during the tribulation and going into the millennial kingdom. Daniel has a lot of millennial prophecies uh, in his book. But when God revealed these things to Daniel, he actually told Daniel, the vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true. So kind of like what we just said, these words are faithful and true. But he says, but keep the vision secret. He told Daniel, you keep this secret, uh, for it pertains to many days in the future. And the very end of Daniel... Last things the Lord told Daniel uh, in his book was, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. And he tells Daniel, you're going to die. You're not going to see these things and seal this book up uh, until the very end. Now here at the end of Revelation, uh, it's the exact opposite. He says, do not seal up this book. To seal up just means to close, to keep it secret, like he told Daniel. Like the scroll, it's the same word used at the very beginning when the scroll was sealed, the seven seals, and they began to open the scroll, and it revealed God's judgment at the end of the tribulation that we now are uh, able to understand because of the, the, the book of Revelation. Um, uh, but, but here he's told to write these things down and, and get it out. Uh, so instead of sealing up, you need to send it out. Write down what I'm revealing to you and get it to the churches. That's the whole point. We already read in Revelation 1, uh, the, the, uh, 1 through 3, uh, Christ revealing it and wanting to send it. In Revelation 1.11, which I didn't put up here, he says, write this in a book, what you see, send it to the seven churches. Uh, in Revelation 1.19, he says, write the things that you have seen, the things that are currently and the things that will take place after these things and send it to the churches. 
Um, and so even today, this is, is very important for this book to be read, interpreted, and given to the church. Um, it's, it's important to study Revelation. And like I said, it's not just for speculation. This is for preparation. If we're not studying Revelation and living according to it, then, then we're not going to be living rightly here in this life. Does that make sense? It's so you can't neglect it. Um, and like I said, there's no book that's more misinterpreted, spiritualized, or misused in the book of Revelation that I know of in, in all of the Bible. And, and, uh, and again, even looking at commentaries, as I was like reading through different commentaries uh, for, to, to help in my own study, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of crazy things. I mean, there's, there's godly men that, that take tangents based on some theological uh, assumptions that they have, and then there's people that just take license to do whatever they want to with the word. And, uh, and so it is very important uh, that we know this book and that we, uh, that we, we preach this book. Actually, I remember um, teaching, I used to teach here at the school, I taught sixth graders, and we taught Revelation. So my, one of my things I taught in sixth grade was Revelation, and I loved it. I mean, it was, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was good breaking it down and, and making it simple and giving it to the kids. But I remember a pastor talking to me years ago and just saying, man, you're a brave man to teach Revelation. He just said, he, he, he said he doesn't teach it because no one can really understand it. And I'm like, this is a pastor going, you know, no one can really understand it. And it's like, and I'm saying, I think the word of God tells you, you must understand it. I mean, especially as a pastor, but even, even us, no, no matter who it is, you have a, a call by Christ to understand what revelation means and then live in accordance to it. You can't just be like, well, who knows? You know what I mean? I mean, we don't do that with Galatians. Nobody reads Galatians and goes, well, I mean, it could mean anything. So I guess it means nothing. You know, it's like, it, it means exactly what it means. And so it is very important. It doesn't mean that there's not big things in it. And it doesn't mean that there's not things you got to wrestle with. It doesn't mean there's not things that you're like, I don't, I really don't even know where this, what that's going to look like. But it does mean that there's an urgency to understand it and to know it and to not seal it up. Henry Morris in his commentary says it this way. He says, we are to guard the words of the book. God is surely capable of speaking plain words through his angel and through John to us, and we had better let him say what he says. This is a book of revelation, not mystification, of apocalypse, not apocrypha, meaning like a, a, a hidden, fanciful book, like the, the, the apocryphal books at the end of the Old Testament. As the book of redemption had finally been completely unsealed, so let the book of revelation and consummation never become sealed, especially as the day approaches. And that's in light of what he was, he was talking about, uh, the mystification of this book. Uh, through bad teaching or through imaginative preaching, you can actually seal this book back up. Does that make sense? To where it, you know, it becomes confusing or it just becomes like, I don't know what it means. And it's like, we don't have that freedom. Uh, when we handle the word of God, we got to know what it says. Again, doesn't mean there's not big things in it. It just means we all have a calling. You have a calling to understand it as a child of God. I have a calling to preach it rightly as a, as a teacher. Um, but we got to make sure uh, that we don't seal it up uh, unnecessarily, if you want to say it that way, uh, just through either laziness or, uh, or, or teaching it wrong. And, and the point is, he says, don't sell up this book because the time is near. Again, it's more important for us than it would be for the Israelites. It doesn't mean it wasn't important for them, the stuff that Daniel said. It just means you're living in the day and age that Christ could return tomorrow. These things can begin now. And you need to know exactly what Christ is doing so that we live right, right now. The time is near. He is coming quickly. In verse... Uh, 21.11, it says, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. 
Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Um, when he says this, it doesn't mean that these people have sealed their fate and they can't understand the word of God. Uh, basically, it's uh, one author called it a let of withdrawal. He's saying the time is short and people will go on their way. And people are going to do the things they're going to do. It's, it's the way, you know, even when um, uh, the, the word of God goes out and it's going, to, it's going to accomplish what it's going to accomplish. It will harden some and it will break others and soften them. Many will come, some will come to Christ through the preaching of the word and some will harden their heart against Christ because of the preaching of the word. God's word will accomplish exactly what it's meant to accomplish. It's our job to make sure we're preaching it faithfully, we're living in light of it faithfully, uh, but, but people are going to do what people do. It's kind of like how Jesus said in Matthew 15, talking about the Pharisees. He told his disciples, let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind, and, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Again, in some way, the Lord's just saying, let them just keep doing their thing. Let them go. They're going to keep doing their thing. You focus on me. You stay faithful to me. Uh, in Ephesians four seventeen through 19, uh, again, talking about the, the world, those that are outside of the kingdom, those that are not Christians, he tells us as Christians, do not live, walk no longer, just as the Gentiles walk. So you don't live anything like the world. We're not of the world. He says, they live in the futility of their mind, being darkened to their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart, uh, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. In other words, sin is deceitful, and sin hardens and calluses uh, the, the mind and the conscience so that even when you hear truth preach, someone can say, Christ is coming, it is urgent, you must believe, you must follow, he could come tomorrow, and you're like, eh, whatever, I'm just going to keep living my life. But for the child of God who has a soft heart, a mind that listens and, 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 and heeds the word of God, this becomes like wake-up moment kind of stuff. we got to live our life right. And so that's kind of what, basically, this is an example of God's perspective. He knows when someone needs to be let alone or, or ministered to, if you want to say it that way. Uh, from, from our vantage point, do not be like the world who are darkened in their understanding, living in futile ways. Because of sin, they've become calloused. Um, and uh, Romans 1 is another good example of God's perspective of what he does. You know, when you continue in sin, when you suppress truth, when you hear truth and disregard it and continue walking according to your own desires and lusts the way that the world does, uh, you're, you're given over by God to your desires here and you become insane. You become crazy. Sin drives you mad. And so in Romans 1, it talks about this. Uh, just this. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. So we can experience the wrath of God here on earth by suppressing truth and being given exactly what we want, which is our sinfulness. Uh, and he says, um, uh, because man, they, they know that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it. So God equipped us with everything within us to be able to know him and understand him. But we suppress his truth. We don't listen to his truth. And then it says, therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity. It keeps going. It says, then God gave them over to degrading passions. It keeps going. It says, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things that are not proper. And then it ends by saying, they know the ordinance of God. Uh, they know that practicing these things is worthy of death, worthy of hell. But they not only do the same thing, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is what sin does to human beings. This is what happens. So this is the vantage point of God. You keep sinning, he will give you what you desire. 
uh, he will give you the, the, the desires of your heart and of your mind, and you'll be given over to these things. And that's basically what he was saying about the Pharisees. Let them go. Let them go. They're going to they're gonna continue to lead. And those that don't belong to me and are blind, they will follow the blind. But just like he opened the eyes of the blind and said that those, those whose eyes are opened, they will see me. They will hear my voice. My sheep come to me. The Lord knows who belongs to him, and they will listen. And so the point of all that is to say, listen. Listen to what he says in Revelation. Don't listen to this stuff and be like, well, I still got time to sin. I still got time to do, you know, I, I, I still want to, you know, my job is priority for a while, and at some point Christ will be the priority. Right now is the day uh, to, to follow him and never to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Our choices here on earth can seal our eternal destiny. Have you thought about that? I mean, what we do here now is who we are. And if we die in our sin apart from Christ, that's who we are for all eternity. Again, many people think at some point I'll sober up. At some point I'll stop living for myself. At some point when I'm done with fill in the blank, whatever it is that is your God and is your greatest desire, then I'll follow Christ. But you don't know if that day will come in a couple of ways. One, you could die, right? I mean, you could be like, I'm going to repent tomorrow and tomorrow may not come. But the scariest thing, I think, is what we just read in Romans 1 or in Galatians or in Matthew, right? That tomorrow may come and you may still be alive and you're unable to respond because you've been given over to your sin. That's way scarier to be given over and to be unable to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ because you have been hardened and calloused by the deceitfulness of sin to the point where you become a mocker and a scoffer and you live according to your own passions and desires and, and, uh, and, and are given over to a depraved mind. That's terrifying. So either way, today is the day of salvation. That's what Hebrews talks about. Hebrews 3.13, he says we must encourage each other. You encourage me. I encourage you every day to be faithful to Christ, to listen to his word, to live in submission to his truth. He says as long as it's called today, why? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It can happen. And we know people. We know people in our families. We know people at work. We have friends that at one point looked like they were running faithfully, and now they've fallen away. And it happens through suffering. It happens through uh, the, the lust of the flesh, desires of life. It happens through wealth. It happens because of a girl or because of a husband. It happens because of many reasons. Uh, we watch people that, they, it's, it's the, the, the parable of the seeds, right? They sprung up. It looked like legitimate fruit. But then they withered away because of the, the, you know, they were founded on rocky soil or they were founded um, on um, thorny, in, in the thorns. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 talks about the same thing. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let them return to the Lord. He will have compassion on you. And, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the nature of God. This is his character. For those who come, he heals. For those who come, he forgives. For those who come, he grants rest. For those who come to him, he becomes their savior. But if you do not seek him now, if you reject him now, then you will face him one day as your eternal judge. And there's no repentance at that point. Does that make sense? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of faithfulness. And that's what Revelation is all about. Sober up. This will all end soon. And anything here is futility. We live for Christ. And we live in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And that's what he says next. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to uh, every man according to what he has done. 
Again, he's already said this once, that he's coming quickly. It just shows the urgency, the expectancy, the immediacy of him coming. Uh, And he says that his reward is with him. Christ rewards his brethren that are saved by his grace through faith according to what they have done. So, you know, when you think about the the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, when it talks about uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that for this purpose each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And it talks about him burning up all the things that were chaff, that were built on, you know, selfish motives, things like that, and all the things that were bronze, gold, and silver, the things that, that came from, from him that will be rewarded. And you've got to think about that, Ephesians 2, 10, where it talks about every good work uh, was ordained by him before the foundation of the world so we would walk in him. So anything truly good, truly of God, truly that was righteous and good and holy is a gift from him. And he's going to reward you for the faithfulness that you lived in this life, which, again, even that was a gift from him. And all the things that were done, you know, that, that seemed good and seemed holy, you know, our book deals and, 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 uh, and, and all these things that, that, that brought us some sort of attention and profit in this life that may have been motivated by other means, even as Christians, that stuff will go away. That was just chaff. That'll be burned up. But we'll still be rewarded for the things that were from him, which is awesome. So this is a, a, a rendering uh, according to deeds, but it's a reward for his children. For those who do not belong to him, he gives them judgment according to their deeds. And again, we see this in Romans 2. Uh, he talks about those who are basically hypocrites because of the stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation uh, of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to their deeds. So both Christians and non-Christians, in some sense, will be judged according to their deeds. For the Christian, you're saved by grace through faith and you're given the eternal reward and inheritance of Christ All of that has nothing to do with anything that we are or have done. It has to do with the grace, love, and mercy of God. But within that eternal reward that belongs to Christ and eternal life, there's still a a reward that's based upon our faithfulness here on earth. And even that reward, again, ultimately still brings glory to Christ because of what he's done in us. But on the other side, for those who don't have Christ, they will be judged according to their thoughts, their words, their deeds for all eternity in hell. Uh, either way, Christ will return, and, and he will render to every man according to what he has done. Um, and then he says, Christ speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. These are just three titles that all really say the same thing about Christ and who he is. They're titles given to God the Father. They're showing that this is that, that Christ is equal to God. Uh, he is not God the Father. He is God the Son, but he is God. Uh, and so he is the beginning. He is the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And this just shows that he begins all things and he finishes all things. He's the author of everything and he is the one that will complete all things. He is the one that controls all things. It shows his sovereignty. It shows his power and authority, his supremacy over all things. It just, again, just one more seal of this must all take place exactly like I have proclaimed it. And I am the one that controls all of it. You know, So the, the author himself and the one that will complete the story has told us exactly how he will end it. Finally, the very end, it's really a call uh, to, to us and to the people of the world. He says, Blessed are those, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. 
Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves practicing lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. There we go. We're back at the churches. And I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come uh, and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away, uh, actually, hold on, let's let's stop with the without cost because this is a lot of and and we're gonna we'll get through this. But uh, I'm sorry, let's go back to let the one who wishes uh, take the water of life without cost. The first thing here is you basically have two different people groups that he's talking to at the very end or talking about. You have the blessed and you have the cursed. And, uh, and you see this, uh, it, it says, um, blessed are those who wash their robes. Uh, th- those who wash their robes are those who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. These are sinless and holy saints who have been made holy because of what Christ did on the cross. We've seen this terminology throughout Revelation um, uh, in, in the promises uh, to the church of, of Sardis and Laodicea in Revelation 3. You got he who overcomes will be clothed in white garments and he won't erase his name from the book of life. For the Laodiceans, he says, I will advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you will become rich and white garments so that you'll, you may clothe yourself. Uh, in Revelation 4, you see the 24 elders already in heaven. They're already clothed in white garments. In Revelation 7, when you see the tribulation saints in heaven, they have their robes washed and made white with the blood of the Lamb. Um, uh, and so we see the white garments over and over. Uh, it reminds me of what 1 Peter 1.19 says when it talks about us here currently, the church, and it says you were redeemed not with gold and silver and precious things like that, but you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So it's, it's what Christ did on the cross. It's the blood of Christ, the death of Christ that washes us clean, causes us to have white garments. In other words, to be clothed in Christ, to be clothed in righteousness, to be clothed uh, and and uh, his grace. Uh, and then in Revelation 19, when Christ splits the heavens open and comes with all of his armies, all the people that are with him, they're all clothed in fine linen, white and clean, which means those are the ones that belong to him. Those are the ones that have been bought by him. Those are the ones that have been redeemed by his blood. And so those who are blessed are those who have been purchased by Christ, washed clean by the blood of Christ, and are clothed in white garments. Um, that's actually where the New King James, uh, I wrote it down, talks about those who do his commandments, which is not an unbiblical notion. The, the Greek here has nothing to do with commandments. It, says, it literally says uh, those who are, are clothed in white, um, or, uh, and it talks about being clothed in a long white robe. Uh, and it says so that they, those who are clothed in white, uh, may uh, have a right to the tree of life, and they may enter into the gates of the city. Again, this just goes back to what we just learned about in Revelation 22. Uh, we just saw the kingdom, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven, and in it is a river, and the tree of life is there. Only those who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ will be in the city and partake of the tree of life. And the same thing with they may enter the gates of the city. We already read about that. No one enters the gates that, don't, that is not clothed in white and has not been purchased by the blood of Christ. So all of those who have been purchased and redeemed by Christ will be part of the tree of life, part of the city, part of the eternal kingdom, part of all the blessings that we've talked about. Blessed are those who have been washed clean by Christ. But then there's a warning attached to this. 
It says outside are the dogs and the sorcerers um, and the immoral persons, the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves practicing lying. Outside just means the lake of fire. That's where we're at at this point. We're in the eternal kingdom. There's no more hell. There's no more sin. All that's been cast in the lake of fire. So basically, if you're not in the kingdom, you're in the lake of fire. Those are the only two places. And he's saying all those who have not been washed clean by the blood of Christ will at this point be under the eternal judgment of God in the lake of fire. Um, it's very similar to what he said in Revelation 21.8, uh, where he says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so when it talks about dogs, just that's the only difference really between the two. It's not talking about literal dogs. It's talking about, it's a derogatory term, most often used in Scripture to talk about false prophets and false teachers. Uh, but anyone who acts uh, in, a, in a, um, uh, uh, an animal-like way, if you want to say that, they're, they're acting according to their lust and their flesh and their desires. They're just, they're, they're uh, like dogs. Uh, Philippians 2 talks about false teachers, says, Beware the dogs, the evil workers. Beware the false circumcision, those who are preaching works instead of Christ. Uh, and then in Isaiah 56, he talks about the false teachers of Israel being dumb, greedy dogs. And uh, it's a derogatory term talking about those who reject the truth of Christ. There's a final invitation uh, here for those who will listen, for the church, for, for us, for those who hear the preaching of Revelation Uh, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. This was meant for us. It was meant for the church. It was meant for us to listen and to heed the words and to live in accordance to it. It's very personal. I don't don't know. I should have looked this up before I even opened my mouth and said it. But I don't know if there's any other place where Jesus firsthand says, speaks to us, the church, like this. He speaks through his prophets to us. He speaks, uh, you know, uh, firsthand to the disciples in the upper room, things like that. But this is him speaking directly to us, calling us out. I, Jesus, have revealed this to you, the church. And, and so this is a very important uh, revelation, and it's for the church. It's for the, the seven churches mentioned uh, in Revelation 2 and 3, and it's for us. And then he, again, emphasizes uh, who he is uh, by his titles. I'm the root, the descendant of David, and the bright morning star. These are titles of Christ. It's kind of cool. He's the root and descendant of David. Again, that's an impossible thing. He is, he, is the, he is the ancestor and the descendant of David. David came from him, and he came from David. So again, this just is evidence of him being fully God and fully man. Uh, and, and these are uh, Old Testament references, him being the root, uh, the shoot, or the branch of, of Jesse. Uh, and then the Davidic covenant that one of David's son will sit on the throne forever. He will have the kingdom and the throne uh, forever uh, and a house forever. Um, actually, it's kind of it's, it's very similar to what um, Jesus, this was the conundrum that Jesus gave to the Pharisees in Matthew 22. Uh, and, and they stopped talking to him. <laughs> it says when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. You know, they're, they're, they've been asking him questions, trying to catch him in some sort of, some, some sort of religious uh, uh, um, uh, blasphemy or something that he is going to, um, you know, cause them to arrest him. And he says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Easy question. Davidic covenant stuff. And so they said to him, he's the son of David. And they were right. And so then he, Christ, said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies uh, beneath your feet. This is talking about Psalm 2. David wrote that. So David is, is talking about Christ being Lord, about the Messiah being Lord. He says, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
you know, which it just, <laughs> the Pharisees shut down. <laughs> no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question. Uh, they hadn't put that together, you know, that he will be the son of David and he was also the Lord or the God of David, which is, is really cool. So here he's saying that, I am that one. And then he says, I am the bright morning star. This is the only time Christ is ever referred to as the bright morning star in this terminology like this. There are other references of him being, uh, um, uh, well, there's other star references. In Revelation 2, actually, he says, uh, for those who um, overcome, he will give them uh, the, the morning star. But it's a different word, uh, and, and honestly, I, I didn't study that. I never dug into that. But when it talks about giving them the morning star, uh, I, I believe that's probably talking about them entering into this, the, the, the eternal state. They will be a part of that. We'll, but I don't, I don't really know that one. But it's different. It's not the same terminology. It's not the same word. The only other star references in Numbers 24, when Balaam prophesied about the Messiah that would come, he says, a star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. Um, and uh, possibly that's why they followed the, the glory of God. The Magi followed that, um, at, knowing that that was a prophecy of the Messiah. But this is just a reference to him being the bright morning star. One commentator said, you know, this, you know, in the, the new heavens and the new earth, it's the glory of Christ that will illumine all things, you know. So possibly that's just a title of who he is. I am the bright morning star. He, is, he outshines the sun. He uh, 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 lights up the universe and, and all things. People walk uh, according to the light of his glory during that time. So possibly that's what he's articulating here. Then you got this, and this is awesome. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come uh, let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. This is the final uh, calling for Christ to return. This is both the Spirit of God, it's the church, the bride, the new Jerusalem, all the people of God. They're praying for him to come. And the one who hears these words, if you read Revelation, if you heard these words, you ought to be begging Christ to come. We should be praying for him to come, to return, to do these things now. And then it's an invitation uh, for anyone who, uh, to, to hear these words and to come to him. So it's basically you're calling on Christ to come and to return and to reign on earth for his kingdom to be on her, here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, it's a longing that all of us have for him to return. And then it's a final invitation that calls out to the world to come be a part of this. Come to Christ. Come to the one. If you are thirsty, come to him. He's the one that will give you the water of life without cost. This is what Christ said when he was on earth. Matthew 11. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Those who are weary with the religion and weary with the burden of sin and weary with all these things, come to Christ. He is our rest. In John 4 or 10, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he tells her, if you would ask me, I would give you the water that, uh, that, that will, uh, the water I will give him will become a, in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He will give you living water. And then in John 7, when he's in the tabernacle and he's, or in the temple and, and he's using the, 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 the water, um, uh, what do you call it? the libation sacrifice that the priests were doing. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture says, from his innermost being flows uh, uh, rivers of living water. In other words, he's saying that he is the only one. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can cleanse. He's the only one that can give you the spirit. He's the only one that can give you rest and freedom from sin, full redemption and eternal life. Christ is the one. We're praying for him to come And we're calling the world to come to him. 
so that they can take part of this and, and so that they can be part of Christ. The invitation is still open, uh, and today is the day, like we've already said, the day of salvation. And then there's the final warning um, uh, added to the very end of this book. He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone, listen, this is, this is terrifying stuff. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. In other words, don't mess with God's word. Don't add anything to it and don't take away anything from it. It's a warning to the church about ever adding to or taking away from the word of God. He's guarding the content of this book and this prophecy. We've already talked about heeding it and guarding it and knowing it and understanding it. And it's saying, do not add and do not take away. The Lord has given us everything we need to know. And, he has give, and, and, and we need to know everything that he has revealed to us. And there's nothing that we need to know that's not revealed. Think about it that way, both sides. Everything you need to know is here in his word. And there is nothing you need to know that is not in his word. You don't need to read the next book on the boy that went to heaven or some person that went to hell or all that. I mean, that's, that, that's, it's, they're just lies. They're all from hell, all those books. And there's nothing you need to know about him, his salvation, or his eternal kingdom that's not in this book. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean there's not good books written about what's in this book that help us understand it more. But if it's not based on this book and coming out of this book, then it's not worth reading and you don't need to know it. But on the other side of it, don't take away anything that's not in this book. There's many pastors and many people that skip over the parts they don't like. They take out what they do like and they put away what they don't like. And they're standing over God in judgment of God in his word. And they're saying, I know better than you, God. And I'm going to keep from your people the things that I don't think they need to hear. That's a terrifying place to be too. We don't tamper with God's word. Like I said earlier, we're going to die, all of us are going to die with some, some amount of bad theology still. We're never going to nail it all. All of us are going to die with unmortified sin. We're, we're going to die still with sin in our lives. And all of us are going to die not understanding some things in his word. Does that make sense? But as we are alive, we should be mortifying the flesh, crucifying the, the sin that is in our life. We should be studying diligently his word so that we do understand him more. And he will always, through his spirit, through his word, through the church... Help us to know the truth of his word. That's what Deuteronomy talks about. In Deuteronomy um, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. If it's not revealed, those belong to him. So don't even worry about it. right? Uh, but he says, The things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So what God has given to you, you have a responsibility for. What God has given to you, he has made very clear. Because it was given to you for you to be able to understand it and obey it. Does that make sense? God doesn't, God doesn't speak in ways that his, his people can't understand it. First Corinthians talks about that. These are things that were ordained by him before the foundation of the world. Just given to us for, for, for our benefit here on earth. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.2, there was a warning to the Israelites for the same thing. The stuff that God gave to Moses, he said, don't add and don't take away. Uh, you shall not add to the word which I'm commanding to you, nor take away from it, you, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So this is always God's standard, that you keep what he has given to you and we don't add or take away. Robert Thomas in his commentary says, No book in the Bible has a more pointed attestation, a stronger safeguarding against tampering, or a more urgent recommendation for study and observance 
uh, then does the apocalypse, especially in its epilogue. In other words, I mean, that, that's basically all the stuff we've been talking about, but said in a much better way. Don't mess with it, and you study it diligently and obey it. Uh, so the final book of the Bible is also the concluding product of the New, of New Testament prophecy. It also marks the close of the New Testament canon. Uh, I'm sorry, it, it also marks the close of the New Testament canon. says the prophet, prophetic gift is the divinely chosen means for communicating the inspired books of the canon. In other words, there is no chapter 23. There are no more books. Anything outside of what's given to us in Scripture is from the mind of man, the imagination of man. It doesn't mean that historical books aren't profitable. It doesn't mean that other things can't be profitable in our understanding of book. You know, when I was studying First Peter, I read the book of Enoch, which is not a non-inspired book. But the book of Enoch helps us to see what Jews during that century thought about and how they interpreted other parts of Scripture. So, you know, there's good in it in that sense. But we're not going to read the book of Enoch and then obey it as if it were the Word of God. It's a non-canonical book. It did not come from his mind or lips, and it is not in Scripture. So um, there is extremely severe judgment for tampering with God's Word. And again, the role of a true pastor is to give to God's people what he says. My, the, whole, the only reason I'm just doing more than just reading what he says is we're trying to explain what he says so that you can understand rightly what he says so that you can follow him and obey him. But it's your job. I don't know if you've ever read scripture and think about that. Look at all the times it calls on the hearers to hear with, with purpose. You need to listen and make sure that you are hearing exactly what he says. You should always be not only testing what you hear from the pulpit, but once you've heard it, you have an obligation now to live in accordance to it. You can't sit there and listen and then walk out the door and be like, oh, that was a great message. It's like there's, there's now an obligation on your part to live in submission to what you have heard from his word. And there's many scriptures that talk about that. Also, this is just a warning for any of the cults that add to the word of God or the liberals that subtract uh, from the word of God with the things that they, they disagree with. Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, many charismatics that add to the word through these personal prophecies and liberals who take liberty and license to shape God's word and, and to, to serve their earthly lusts and their own desires or their own mindset, all that. Recompense will come to all these people and, uh, and their judgment will be eternal and severe. To know God's word and to add to it or to know God's word and to keep it from God's people, there is a terrifying judgment. That's why James says, let not many of you be teachers, because it's terrifying. It's terrifying for me. I love this, but there's a terror that comes with it, that I want to make sure I'm saying what he says. And, and if I don't know what he says, I want to say, I don't know what he says. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to get up here and just be like, ah, oh, you know, maybe this means this. What do you guys think? I mean, there's no room for that. It, it, what does he say? We need to know what he says, and we got to live according to that. MacArthur uh, it says in his commentary, believers are called to guard or protect the book of Revelation. It must be defended against detractors who deny its relevance. It must be defended against critics who deny its veracity and authority, uh, as well as against confused interpreters who obscure its meaning. In fact, all of Scripture is to be so guarded. Paul commanded Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and, uh, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And I think that's a great place to end. This is treasure entrusted to us by God. 
This is the mind and will and word of God given to his children. You and I must read it, must understand it, and must obey it and, 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 and follow him and believe everything that he says. We must, we must uh, 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 gauge and uh, all things, all thought, all philosophies, all the things the culture tells us according to his word. And, and, and what he says is true, and all other things are not. And those are just futile ways of thinking if they don't uh, uh, line up with and, and push forward the truth of his word. It is important for us to guard his word and to know what his word says. And he ends with this final, uh, this final, basically, prayer. He says, he who testifies these things, Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. It's one last promise from Jesus that he will come quickly. It's one last prayer for the saints uh, who endure in this age. Uh, We long for him to come, and this should be our prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come soon. Come today. Come and do all the things that you've said you will do. Come redeem us. Come transform us. Make us Uh, uh, give us our new bodies. Let us be here on this earth with you. This should be our longing. After you're done with Revelation, this should be your prayer for him to come, for him to come today. Um, If you're afraid of him coming today, then whatever it is that's making you afraid, quit, stop that. Get, repent, and follow him. Uh, Live with a clean conscience and pray for him to return now, today. We want him to return. All right. So next week, like I said, we will do a a Q&A. Uh, and uh, or we'll do implications from Revelation. Like I said, we'll kind of review it and go, what are the things we need to take away from this book? If you got no questions, you, I, I feel like you should have some questions. And there's my email address if you want to email me. Uh, it helps me just to prepare for next week. But we'll finish Revelation uh, like that, and then, like I said, we'll get into uh, the fundamentals of the family. Let me pray for us before we leave. Father,